Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You're listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Sue Phillips, an end-of-life doula from Hamilton, Ontario. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Sue. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Maureen. I am so honored to uh, to be here and to share my information. Wonderful. So today we're going to talk about um, the truth about grief, this um, series of podcasts that I'm doing, where we are talking about things that are myths or that um, people maybe have come to believe or don't know about that that those of us who work in the field of grief and bereavement care want everybody to know. And today we're going to talk about the idea that you don't have to be afraid to talk about grief or about death. Exactly. And that is uh, one of the, uh, you know, one of the main uh, goals or aims, if you will, of end of life doulas um, is to help people have those difficult conversations, make them not so difficult. And um, that's what we do. That's one of the many things that we do. Right. You're getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, the topics of death and grief. Exactly. Exactly. So as you do that in working as an end of life doula, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you do to help encourage people to talk about end of life and, um, and grief, both in preparation for death and also after death. What sorts of ways do you engage people to, to help them become comfortable talking about it? You know, a great question. And I'm, I'm always so happy to share um, what we do because it's still fairly new. Although we looked after our, uh, you know, our dying uh, family members many, many years ago until kind of, you know, the big industries took over and, and uh, made it mythical and took it away from us as, uh, as uh, you know, we, we looked after our own pe- people, right? So uh, some of the things that I do, now, not every end-of-life doula does all of it. Uh, so some people do focus on one or two supports, others focus on a range. Uh, for myself, I focus on a range of supports from, you know, diagnosis to death and, as you said, post-death. Um, So that includes helping people plan what their needs are going to be um, if they're dealing with a life-limiting illness. What supports do they need? How can I um, help their circle of care? So I'm I'm not a person who is replacing anyone. I'm adding to their circle of care, and I'm there for emotional, non-medical, emotional, and practical support, and sometimes spiritual support. Um, So you know, we are our own experts on our death. Um, So doulas are not there to say, do this, that, or the other. We're there to say, what do you need? What will make you comfortable? What's important to you? Um, So we do things like advanced care plans. 
um, helping you decide who your substitute decision maker might have to be in case you can't speak for yourself, um, creating comfort plans. So, you know, if you are nearing death, where do you want to be? Do you want to be in hospital? Do you want to be at home? How can we make that environment the most comfortable and meaningful for you? Um, how can we make it as positive? And it sounds odd to say, um, but how can we make it be a positive experience, meaning your family, your loved ones are around you? Is there music you want playing? I mean, there's just so much to um, creating um, an environment that is helpful, you know, at this such a difficult time. Uh, another thing we do is caregiver respite. So caregiving is so, so difficult. Um, so, you know, we do that, give respite. Companion, just, uh, you know, I recently was visiting with a client who was 94 years old and in long-term care. And my goal was to go and sit with her, uh, you know, every week for an hour or so and, um, and talk. And that is one of the nicest, uh, most pleasant things that we can do just to help um, someone, you know, pass the time of day, talk about their life, reflect on their life. Um, so that's something else we do. Um, help people create legacies, whether, you know, apart from financial legacy, we're talking about um, you know, a piece of art, a work of art, uh, a piece of music, uh, letters, you know, writing letters to loved ones. Uh, so there's, you know, that is included. And um, I am also a funeral celebrant, so I can help people plan their celebrations of life. You know, I was fortunate to help someone plan their celebration of life before they passed, um, which was truly an honor. And, um, and also sit vigil when someone is, um, you know, actively dying. So sit with the family, sit with the person so that other people can step away so that the person is never alone. So again, it's, it's a variety, quite a range of supports. Advocate with the medical, uh, you know, environment because people don't want to, quote, bother the medical professionals with their emotional needs or their, you know, their practical needs. Um, they feel like their needs are not important enough to bother a doctor or, you know. Um, so that's another thing, getting resources for people, you know, just finding out who you need to talk to about what, you know, setting up home care. Um, yeah, so a really a wide range. And I am happy to be doing a little bit of everything. Right. Um, and so yeah. it sounds like, Really, from the time someone receives a diagnosis that they know means that this is the end, that it's now a matter of time, you're there to provide em emotional and practical support in a way that kind of augments whatever the medical community is doing in palliative care and that supports the person who's dying as well as their family members and, and community through information and presence and support. So you open up these conversations and you maybe sometimes find yourself introducing ideas to them that they can then make some choices that they maybe wouldn't have known they had otherwise. And then you spend that time with them, with the, the person who's dying as well as their support people, kind of walking with them as they go through this so that they're not alone and they have kind of a guide, um, a supportive yes. guide. 
Yeah. And I, I love the way you put that, Maureen, uh, walking with them, because, you know, uh, I did have a client uh, back in the beginning when I first started my services, and he suggested that he did. He was uncomfortable with the term end of life doula, as are some people. Some It depends on the audience. Sometimes we use death doula, sometimes end of life, but it does make people uh, uncomfortable. And so he suggested that I call myself a coach. And I said, no, that doesn't quite fit. Uh, for me, because I am not leading, you know, a coach is kind of a lead. And I am here, you, you know, my client is leading me, my client is telling me what they need. And I'm doing everything I can to make, uh, you know, to make it right for them. We are the experts of our own experience, we know what we need and want. We just need someone to say it's okay to say what we need and want. You know, right. So. And to give us ideas on how we can sometimes meet those needs and wants. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. we don't, if, if you don't work in end of life spaces, then you often are not aware of some of the options that are possible. Yeah. Even things like, um, you know, someone needs a, a new wheelchair. Uh, but maybe they've been on a waiting list with Trillium for a long time, or, you know, I mean, things fall through the cracks. And sometimes there's long waiting lists for supports. And, you know, I can get on the phone and try to, you know, facilitate things. I, I can't always make things happen, but certainly having another, another person. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely helps. It's another voice and you bring an energy to it that people in those circumstances may not always have on their own. And yeah. so you have some knowledge of the system and you have this energy that you bring in that allows you to advocate once you know what they wish for yeah. um, and need. I met a couple, um, mom and dad with two young adults in their twenties children. And mom was very ill. Um, and very young, 59 years old. Um, and she wanted us to gather. She she came to me and asked if I would meet with the family to talk about, to allow space for the, the kids in the family. And I say kids, but they were adults. Uh, they are adults. And um, uh, so that if they had any questions and even questions around actively dying, what's going to happen to her body? What, you know, what's she going to look like? like all of those physical things, all of it. And so I spent quite a bit of time preparing lots of information for them. And I was so um, honored to be doing that. And we met together the, you know, there was uh, five of us there and I lit a candle and we had a meditation to start to, um, you know, just um, accept the beautiful energy that was happening within the family. And, and um, she wanted to ask them how they felt about medical assistance in dying, because she had considered that, but she was worried about their reaction. She also had said, absolutely, she wasn't going to die at home because she felt that was an inconvenience for her husband and kids. And we had the most amazing couple of hours together and talked about all of it. And at every step of the way, as I opened up the conversation to each thing, each, you know, the physical, the emotional, the uh, medical assistance and dying, how that would work, all of those things, um, celebration of life, funeral, all of it. These 
these two young people just were amazing and basically just gave her permission to do what she absolutely needed to do for herself. So, so they actually did the very same thing that my goal would be to say, only think about what, how you want to manage it. And as the meeting went on, I could see the relief watching, washing over her. I could see, I could see her kind of changing her mind about, about a couple of things that she had felt very strongly about. And at this time, they thought that she would have more time, a few months. As it turned out, she died not too long after that. And with, it was weeks. And she died at home. And she had arranged for her medical assistance in dying process, but she died before that was even completed. Um, and they just handled everything so beautifully. Those, And I think it was them giving her the permission. And it was my saying to them, you know, <laughs> just support her and, and do what she wants to do. And uh, so I would say that was one of the most beautiful experiences I've had since I've started doing the work. And, and I was able to go to their home afterwards uh, when she died, the day she died, I was able to be with her. I was able to be with them. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's an honor to do this work when, you know, people um, can accept it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think, you know, that, in part, when we work in the field that we give people permission, we give them that permission to talk about things that are difficult and uncomfortable and sometimes taboo. Yeah. And when we open those doors, just like you did for that family, then we can we can find that permission allows for very beautiful things to happen. We know that the end of life is coming and we have all the feelings of sadness and distress sometimes about that. But it can also be peaceful and beautiful and loving and caring. And we can yes. wrap around the person who's dying when we know it's coming and, and we yeah. have these conversations. And so when we're not afraid to talk about grief, when we're not afraid to talk about death, we have more possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And let, yeah. And I love what you say about like, feel, feel it all, you know, it's, it's great to, you know, that people want to avoid the bad feelings. I understand it. Um, however, I find it is easier to embrace it, embrace them all and, and find the best way to deal with them. The best that works for you. I mean, that's easier said than done, of course, as we know, but, right. but uh, well, they, our feelings sometimes take their time with us, don't they? Yeah. You know, yeah. they have, yeah. they have the way, but I often say, if we try to avoid the feelings or push them down, that they come back to us and sometimes Absolutely. they come back with a vengeance. And so Sometimes it's it's important as hard as it is to find ways to just sit with those hard feelings, to let them be, to, to trust yourself, to move through them. And your support as an end of life doula prepares people, helps them trust that too. Because by offering them all the choices that you do, it seems to me that that you're showing them that you trust them. Yeah, yeah. And, and isn't it, don't you find it interesting that um, you know, birth, we celebrate, right? We celebrate, we buy gifts, and we do all kinds of things and have showers and baby this and baby that and isn't it beautiful. But yet, you know, the death part is so frightening for people that we don't celebrate that transition. Or, you know, we have yet to, I mean, some people certainly have found ways to celebrate that transition, thank goodness that 
um, you know, examples are out there of how to celebrate the transition and not be so afraid. And I think that's a big part of my goal is, you know, to help people feel less afraid of that transition. Yeah. And I think, you know, that so much of taking fear away is through education and offering information about what to expect um, in a range of of potential things that could happen and how it will happen and and helping to make arrangements so that the environment is as peaceful as possible um, or in you know the in, comfortable for the person peaceful might not be it right yeah um, and and when you talk about the celebration it reminds me that there are a few stories that I know of where the person who was dying you know sort of hosted a party they knew that it was coming and they they kind of planned their gatherings and hosted um in some way the people that they care about that they wanted to know that they wanted those people to know how much they love them and um to celebrate those relationships and and so you know when i've seen something like that happening or heard about it it seems to me to be such a beautiful way to make a transition and you know i I like what you said earlier about the idea that, you know, we used to do death at home before hospitals and funeral homes were a big thing or a thing at all. Our families took care of us and, and, you know, we would be laid out in the parlor and, and people would visit and gather around the family and meals would happen and, and togetherness. And, and so, um, the 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 ways that we have been distanced from those transitions including birth and death through institutionalization has you know really left us bereft and not aware of what we can do and how we can do it in the ways that our ancestors knew yeah we can do home funerals mm-hmm. um so yeah that is something that um I don't have, you know, personal experience uh, doing that, but I have worked with someone who provides that. And um, I don't know a lot of people that, you know, people think it's so weird, but Mm -hmm. I don't. Well, it Um, takes, again, it takes that idea of opening the conversation, giving permission, not being afraid to talk about it um, and, and thinking through. And I think that we don't know how to do that. So so folks like you who are working as end of life or death doulas and or funeral celebrants have this you know to get like there are people who are bringing this knowledge back yeah yeah and sharing it and 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 that will start to normalize it again and so people will know they have more choice even more choice than they thought they had and and i think to me one of the most important things about talking about anything is knowing those choices. If we don't talk and ask questions, there's so much we never learn. Yeah. But the other part is also the chance to really express our feelings, you know, and when we're not afraid to talk about something, we get that release and that relief in talking about our feelings. And those are, those are so powerful in experience and allow people to have this feeling of, of more peace. Um, you know, my father-in-law passed away in, um, July of 2020 after living with us for about six years and declining with dementia and the the pandemic, um, situation Mm -hmm. really for really sped up his decline. 
Um, but he had lived uh, about 25 years without his wife, who he had been married to for 40 years. And he and I often would talk about, you know, the fact that he was ready to go, he was ready to go be with his wife. And, and, and he was ready long before it was his time. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I would have these conversations with him and other people, you know, would get a little distressed by that. But I noticed that it seemed to calm his anxieties down when we talked about, you know, what did he want? How did things, how did he want things to go? And so, you know, in the end, when it was time to be with him in that, that last week of his, his days and in vigil with him, I knew that I could trust what we had talked about. I could trust that I was making him comfortable in the way that he would have wanted because we'd had all those conversations. Yeah, that's you know? amazing. Yeah. And yeah. it's that that openness and willingness to talk about it that helped ease his fears, I think, sometimes, too. Yeah. You know, I had another long client where I had been seeing her for several months. Um, and I knew right from the start that she was going to choose medical assistance in dying. And um, she... I mean, that experience as well was very beautiful. You know, she had a celebration of life before she passed. Mm -hmm. She had several family parties, you know, and with food and music. And uh, I mean, it was it was amazing. And uh, I actually it was very odd at first because I was secretly hoping that I would be included in the procedure uh, because mm -hmm. I had not experienced that. Um, but of course, you know, I'm not you know, I'm not going to ask. Right, <laughs> so, right, right. But uh, uh, she did include me. And oh, my gosh, it was, you know, it was such a beautiful, of course, very difficult, especially for a couple of family members, you know, one family member, her one sister was very, she couldn't be there with her, but um, she just couldn't do it. But uh, it was a, a beautiful experience, both from the medical side, watching the doctor, how how tender the doctor was with husband and wife as this process was happening, how much the family embraced all of her needs, you know, so it, yeah, it was really an honor. And yes, she went peacefully with her husband right beside her, whispering in her ear, you know, so I mean, there are ways to say goodbye as devastating as it can be, but, you know, mm -hmm. to make it as as peaceful and beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we don't, you know, we don't always get that chance. People sometimes leave us very suddenly without yes. the opportunity to, to do any of these things. And so when we do talk about things, we have this opportunity to, to do that if it, if it so happens. So I, I also know that you do some other things, not just with families directly, but in your community intended to help people get more comfortable in general, talking about death and grief and all the things yes. that come with end of life transitions. And and can you tell us a little bit about some of those things you're doing in your community? Uh, yes, sure. I would love to. Um, I think what drove it in the beginning was um, uh, as I was networking with other doulas, I realized how difficult it was for everyone um, to monetize their services and support as they were working through setting up businesses. And, and I thought, I am going to monetize my services, but I have to find a way to give back to the community. And uh, so that's kind of started my idea of having monthly information sessions 
um, uh, you know, just around being death positive, death curious, whatever you want to call it. So that included um, death cafes where it's an open agenda. Um, our most recent one just happened a couple of weeks ago, and it was called It Happens, Let's Talk About Death. And um, like I say, open agenda, there may be a couple of prompt questions so to get people comfortable in talking. But it's pretty easy to get people engaged in talking. You know, all you have to do is say, what brought you here? And, you know, that sometimes is all that is needed. Um, I've done sessions on uh, home funerals. Um, um, we had a fantastic guest um, in the fall, um, Denise Davy, who is the author of a book. Uh, her name was Margaret, Life and Death on the Streets. And that was an amazing experience. The book is an amazing, uh, an amazing book. And I am working kind of trying to develop a little bit of a collaborative with another doula in the area so that we can find ways to help support um, the marginalized communities in our area, the homeless, the mentally ill, you know, uh, who are who are nearing end of life. How can we support them? A lot of red tape, a lot of, you know, as you would know, there's, that's not an easy task, <laughs> but that is something we're working towards. I've done sessions on um, ambiguous loss, anticipatory loss, you know, so just discussion forums. And uh, one of our favorites is our goodbye story cafe. It's my favorite anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, we gather storytellers and uh, we talk about uh, different themes. So, you know, our February one is on love. And uh, so we have six storytellers and they have 10 minutes to tell their memoir story based on that theme. Uh, so that is something that I love, absolutely love doing. I mean, telling our grief stories is one of the, to me, one of the best healing things we can do for ourselves and, you know, to release emotional tension and, you know, share those stories, keeping the memories alive. You know, people think they can't talk about their loved ones, um, you know, cause they've been gone so long or, Oh, are you still talking about that? Or, you know, so it gives people an opportunity to talk about their loved ones. And uh, we call it the goodbye story cafe because it mostly is based on, uh, lost through goodbyes, lost through death. Nice. And, and I, I, it feels to me like, you know, both of those things you do, the the death cafe style discussion forums, and then the, the goodbye story cafe feel like permission. And also, you know, a little bit of structure, like, so not rigid structure, but just an, an introductory structure. Today, we're going to talk about this anticipatory grief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and yeah. then there's this in for people. You create an on ramp to the discussion that yeah. allows them, you know, to get up to speed on the highway, so to speak. Yeah. And then we have a couple of little um, like I do these kind of limited series, if you will. And I am not used to being on camera. You know, it's really I feel like completely goofy when I'm doing it, but I do it anyway, because it's important to me. These things are really, really important to me. Um, so I've done uh, two of those, which uh, one is uh, Tiny Grief Stories, Tuesday Tiny Grief Stories, and people sent in, you know, little snippets of, you know, a loved one that has passed. 
and I tell their I would tell their story. And, um, and then we did, uh, and that ran for a few weeks. And then we did another one recently that was Musical Mondays. And that was uh, the same idea. Send, send me a little information about someone who has passed and um, tell me the song that reminds you of them. And then I would read some of the lyrics to the song because oftentimes, especially if you're an older person and can't hear well, you don't hear the lyrics. So I thought, I think I'm going to read them. And then we did put a playlist together when it, when we were done and we posted that out on social media. So, so uh, yeah, so I'm constantly thinking of ideas to have, um, you know, these little limited series. Right. So. Right. One more opportunity for people to connect with a way, you know, so maybe they want their story shared, but they don't want to come and talk for six minutes about their story. And so by sending you a snippet and having you read it in tiny grief stories, they get that satisfaction of knowing that their loved one is honored, that their love is honored. And and that that Music Mondays is the same kind of idea where it's the opportunity for them to have it that that meaningful connection with their loved one in song honored by someone who can represent that nice. yeah really yeah. nice yeah i love absolutely love doing it um and i have talked with lots of people who it's um it's really hard not to get caught up in the numbers so you know if i'm running something on zoom and you know, I see, oh, there's only 20 people have signed up or only 10 people. And I, I can sometimes easily get caught up and not getting reaching as many people as I would like to reach. But but, you know, guess what? I my information reached you, Maureen. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. you know, it it only takes uh, connection with one or two people that and that's really the primary goal. Right. Is is. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter whether there's 200 people or 20 people, it's, it's important regardless, right? So, yeah, I mean, when I do things like that, um, I do um, therapeutic writing for grief and loss. And when I host a free session, I think about the numbers sometimes, but I also have noticed over the years that I've been doing that, that, you know, the people who seem to need it, find it. Um, and maybe there are other people that need it, but maybe it's not their time yet or whatever the case may be. I, I typically find that the people who find me in that way, you know, it's, it's the right time for them. And so I, you know, I, I, I like to remember that even if I only reach one person that that matters and that person's experience becomes then a springboard for perhaps other people that they carry it to. And, and that's how we share things. And so it's, it's, it's very much at the heart of the grief stories work at the website that we, that we have this intention that when we invite people to share their stories, that they have that opportunity to have that catharsis, they get to express themselves and remember and honor their loved one and express their, their own feelings and experience. And so that, you know, often people find that to be therapeutic, just telling the story. And then we know that when that story goes out there, we know that it's got the potential to touch others and to let them know that they're not alone, that somebody else has gone through this and shared their story publicly and is at a place maybe a little further down the road in their healing experience that they can talk about it in this way and share. And it gives people hope for um, that possibility. And And that's all done through getting comfortable talking about a, t- a subject that makes us often very uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, I would never have called myself a storyteller until I participated in a storytelling series a few years ago and, and thought, I've always written, I love to write. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always written my feelings, you know, but uh, I just never thought of it that way. And I'm, I'm the kind of person at a, a social gathering that I don't mind being the center of attention if I'm, you know, hosting a party. But uh, yeah, so I just didn't think of myself in that way. I also never thought of myself as a, an entrepreneur until I joined a female um, entrepreneurial network um, when I started my doula services and <laughs> I started calling myself an entrepreneur. So we surprise ourselves along the way. Each step is a, is a growth. Right. So it's true. Right. Yeah. And, and it's true whether we're talking about our grief processes or when, whether we're talking about our change and development processes that come through these transitions in life that find us doing this kind of work differently um, yeah. through our experiences. So, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I think that, you know, we covered a lot of ground about why it's important to be able to talk about grief and death. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.